Amen. Y'all give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Appreciate you guys leading us in worship. You know, as you, I don't know if you guys all know this, but uh, everybody standing up here with the exception of the guitar players are actually uh, James's kids. And uh, his uh, son is a lot bigger than he is and sings a lot deeper. Can I get a witness on that? But I do appreciate them helping lead in worship. But you know, it makes me think about kids. You know, when I was, what you doing? All right, God bless you. I thought you were coming back for me. I got a little nervous. But anyway, so, uh, but when I was growing up, or when I was growing up, how about when my kids are growing up here, uh, they're actually uh, afraid of some things. As a matter of fact, uh, they experience some fear of the dark. And I remember, you know, Kristen and I, we prayed with them, we talked to them, tried to encourage them, but then we gave them a verse that really did help them uh, to overcome their fears. And that's what I want to give you this morning as we start this series, Overcoming. We're going to look directly at fear. But 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, let me just get you to stand up. We're just going to quote this all together. So I'm going to count to three, and then you quote it loud with me. One, two, three. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and discipline. Let's bow together. Father, we do thank you so much for your son Jesus and how he's changed our lives. And God, we thank you for the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God who gives us a power, love, and sound mind. And God, I also know that as followers of Jesus, oftentimes we do face fears. Uh, God, you call us to be obedient in some areas of our life and step out in faith. And at the same time, Lord, there are times that we are just overwhelmed and that fear grips our heart. But God, I pray that you would use our time together as we look at a familiar Old Testament story really to encourage us in our walks with you. And we give you glory for it. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. And everybody said, amen. So you go ahead and be seated. Uh, probably every single one of us have experienced fear of some sort in our lives. In fact, uh, I kind of like to put it this way. Fear is a common emotion that often immobilizes us and it causes us to withdraw from people and individuals, but it also keeps us from experiencing and seeing the glory of God at work. And you and I can fear all sorts of things. You know, David Jeremiah helped me in his book on fear where he says that a person can fear a natural disaster, a serious illness, a financial collapse. A person can fear being alone. They can fear being rejected or have a fear of sudden trouble in life and even a fear of dying. And you know, you and I, we live in uncertain days where job security can become a fear, uh, where financial stability can become a fear. Some of you may uh, be fearful about your marriage. You're, you're not 100% sure that things are going well. So maybe you're a little fearful there, or maybe even fear would jump in uh, to your heart and mind as you consider your children, and you're afraid that they're not going to live up to their full potential. And then you may be a person who is struck uh, with what I deal most often with, and that is a fear of failure. And so just for a moment, we kind of uh, take the preacher hat off, and let me just explain to you that, you know, before I was a preacher, I was a follower of Jesus, but there are fears that I face, and one of those is a fear of failure, and I've wrestled with this for quite some time. I remember uh, even when I was just a teenager and God was calling me uh, into the ministry, I was extremely afraid. I thought, well, you know, if I do that, I'll probably, you know, royally blow that up. And so I was afraid to be obedient to the Lord. And then when I went to college, I remember the very first place that I had to serve was at a uh, church as a youth pastor part-time. And they had called me 
and I was in my dorm room and they said all right Levi we want you to come on staff and you're gonna be the the student pastor you know you start tomorrow night well I was all excited but then I hung the phone up and realized I was gonna have to preach tomorrow night I was gonna have to preach every week and so I had never done that before so fear started gripping my heart and then I remember uh, pastoring a first church at uh, 23 years old I remember going in there as just a young guy and Krista was with me and man I was afraid that you know going and maybe messing things up or just royally failing and so there was a fear there and then when God called me into full-time ministry of evangelism and missions man I was afraid to step out and I thought well Lord if I go out here and this really bombs man you know eggs gonna be on my face and I was just afraid because I was telling everybody this is what I feel God's really called me to do and so I stepped out but it was still fear in my heart and then when I came here I was extremely afraid as well you know I'd I not pastored in quite some time. I had been doing that missions and evangelism and man I was excited about what God could do here at Concord, but scared all at the exact same time and I remember whenever we went to three services Do y'all remember that say yes? So whenever we did that y'all don't know this But I could not sleep the night before I was so scared and I knew we were starting the 930 service And that was gonna be the new service and we'd have 8 9 30 11 And so 9 30 rolls around on that Sunday morning And I was just like, you know heart beating out of my chest as I sat down here on the front row and it was was like 929 and a half and there were like seven people sitting in the auditorium and man I thought Lord we have I've blown this I cannot believe that you know I, I've sought to lead in this direction but then people started coming can I get a witness on that so I was like thank you Jesus they came in so I preached to several that morning and, and it, what was awesome is uh, God really worked and now I say all that to say to you <coughs> excuse me but I say that, man, I, I am uh, at a point now where I'm scared to death. And you're like, well, what are you scared of? Well, here's what I'm scared of. We just launched and working on launching a new satellite campus up in White County. And, man, I'm, I'm scared about that. I, I have this idea sometimes where I lay awake at night and I think, oh, my word, what if this thing doesn't work? What if this happens? What if this? And so just fear begins to grip me. Now, you may experience fear like that as well. Really, I put this whole message together just for me. Are you all with me on that one? But you may be fearful. You may say, all right, well, if I step out in obedience and do what I feel God really wants me to do here, then what if this happens or what if that happens? And so you're a little bit scared. And sometimes whenever you face that great fear, sometimes you withdraw. Sometimes you just become paralyzed and you choose to do nothing all out of fear. And did you know that there uh, are some people in our church I'm confident who really sense God is calling them to do something in ministry, but they're afraid to do it? And there's a great quote that Gary Thomas gives, gave us uh, in our grow group a couple of Sunday nights ago. He said, imagine how much ministry has gone undone because someone was afraid to obey God. Can you just think about that? All of the years, how much ministry has gone undone because people were afraid to obey God? And so fear does. It grips us. Well, did you know the Bible talks about fear a ton? In fact, over 200 people in the Bible are described as being very afraid. As a matter of fact, one of the most common uh, statements, uh, imperative commands found in the Scripture from the Lord is fear not. So there are plenty of people who experienced fear. And this morning we're going to talk about how to overcome fear. First we're going to contrast fear and faith. And in order for us to do that, you can just go ahead and turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel 17. But we're going to talk about a very common passage of Scripture. Most of you who grew up in church, you've heard it before. If you've not, this may be your first time. Man, you're in for an awesome story. But let me kind of paint the scene for you, okay? So you've got two mountain ranges and in between them is a valley. 
on top of one mountain range are a group of people known as the Israelite army. They're fully dressed, they're ready to go to battle, and they're going to fight the very army that's on the other side of the valley, and they're on top of their mountain range. That army is known as the Philistines. And so now they are facing one another, and it is go time, and they are just about to go to war. But then the Philistines come up with this plan. Instead of sending the entire army down to fight with the Israelites, they would send one man down and challenge Israel to send one man to fight with them. And so here you've got this great scene, and you also have an opportunity to see how fear works in the life of people and how faith works. So with that in mind, let's contrast these Israelites and the Philistines. First of all, I want you to see one thing about uh, fear, and you might want to jot this down in your uh, letters there or in your notes. Fear is driven by what we see and what we hear. Fear is driven by what we see and what we hear. An Israelite nation, they had to look directly at him. His name was Goliath. 1 Samuel 17, 24, notice what the Bible says. The scripture says, when all the men of Israel saw the man, that is, they saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Now, the man's name was Goliath. And most of you probably have heard this, but you know that Goliath was nine foot, nine inches tall. Uh, that is one tall individual. In fact, just to give you a little perspective, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, who played NBA basketball for a season, he actually was seven foot, two inches tall. And he was considered like one of the tallest people on the court. And then Yao Ming showed up. And Yao Ming was seven foot, six inches tall. And Yao Ming actually looked down at Shaquille O'Neal. But if you've got Goliath showing up in the NBA, nine foot, nine inches tall, he would have been looking down at absolutely every single person. He was enormous. But I want you to know he not only was great in his height, but he was also great in his strength. When you study the life of Goliath in this passage, you discover that he is wearing armor. And that armor weighs around 125 pounds. Now, to give you a little perspective, my oldest son, Garrison, uh, he weighs around 100 pounds. And I put him on my back and carried him around for about five steps. Are you all with me? I'm like, you got to get down, son. You weigh too much. But this guy is walking around 125 pounds on him like it is nothing. He's got a spear, and the end of the spear weighs 15 pounds. He's carrying that bad boy around like a toothpick. He is enormous, and the Bible says, that the Israelite nation, they saw the man. They saw Goliath. And then we know how they responded. Whenever they saw him, they inspected him, looked him up from top to bottom, and immediately their eyes are wide open, their jaws are dropped, their knees are shaking. And the Bible says that many of them fled, and they were indeed greatly afraid. Now think about that. They fled. That is, and you can kind of imagine this in your mind, but they're standing up there in this great Israelite army. They're looking down at this great giant, and then those on the front lines begin to kind of slick back to the back. They begin to kind of walk away. They're hiding from this great giant. They're so afraid. And that idea of being afraid, it literally speaks to the fact that their hearts and their minds were struck with great terror. They were overwhelmingly fearful because of what they saw. Now, not only did they see it, but they also heard it. But can I tell you this thing? Because this is just pretty wild. This is just all free information. Y'all with me say yes? What is wild is that King Saul of the Israelite army made a deal with everybody. 
He said, whoever will go down and fight this Philistine giant and win, I will make him rich with great riches. I will give him my daughter in marriage, so I'll make him rich, but I'll also make him royal. And then I'll make sure that your father's household never again has to pay taxes. Can I get a witness on that? Amen. No taxes. But amazingly, nobody jumps up. Nobody volunteers. They were so overwhelmed at his great size and enormity when they saw him. Not even a great bribe from King Saul would cause them to step out. And can I also tell you that King Saul wouldn't go either? And interesting, 1 Samuel chapter 10 teaches us that King Saul was actually taller than all the other Israelites. So here he is, the tallest of all of those in the Israelite army, and yet he himself was too afraid to step out and to do battle with the great giant. Their fear immobilized them. Their fear was causing them to withdraw. But they not only saw him, they also heard him. See, Goliath didn't come down quiet as a mouse. Goliath came down as loud as a lion. In fact, in fact, uh, 1 Samuel 17, 11, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So what is it that Goliath was doing? Well, Goliath came down into the valley. He says, let's not fight, you know, one army against the other. You just send down your greatest man to fight me. And whoever wins, the losing side will become the servants of the others. So that was his challenge. And then he says in verse 10, I defy the ranks of Israel and I encourage you to give me a man that we might fight together. And to defy means to taunt or to make fun of or to vehemently disapprove and hurl great insults. And that's what Goliath did. He was hurling insults at the Israelite army. And 1 Samuel 17, 11 say that when they heard these words, they were dismayed. And there it is again, and greatly afraid. So think about this. They were dismayed. Uh, It's the idea of being shattered. You've been in your kitchen before and perhaps you had a bowl or a plate and you dropped it on the ground and it shattered everywhere. That is what the Israelites' hope of victory did when they heard Goliath speak. As soon as they heard him, they just dropped their jars of hope and they were shattered all over the place. And then as we continue through that text, we find that David speaks to Saul and even describes the heart of the Israelites more so in verse 32 when he says, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. And that idea of failing, it speaks of an inner disposition. It's the idea of seeing this great giant being overwhelmed with fear and you get to a point where you feel inferior and you do not move forward in faith. So they were like, well, we're dead. You know, we're, we're fixing to become servants of the Philistines. There's nothing we can do. We can never stand. This is too great for us. So there they stand on the side of that mountain with great fear in their hearts. You know, Chuck Swindoll, and I want you to think about this, but Chuck Swindoll says the giant you face may relate to your job or your roommate or your school. Uh, maybe it's a person, a lawsuit, an unemployment, a disaster, or maybe even your spouse. Perhaps it's some fear that's lurking around the corner, sucking your energy and draining all of your faith. And you know, when I think about this, it it reminds me of so many conversations I've had over the past couple of months with people in our uh, faith family. Those here who are facing great fears. 
Some are facing, facing great fears because of a terminal illness. And so they've got news from the doctor. And, man, they're afraid. They're afraid of what's going to happen to their family and their children. And then there are some who are going to the doctor. And they're fearful about what they might find out. And I've also talked to both husbands and wives whose spouses have just split. They ran away from the home. They left the house. And now the husband or the wife is sitting there with great fear in their heart. What is going to happen to the future? What's going to happen two days from now, two weeks from now, two years from now? And their concern, great fear begins to grip their hearts. You know, this is a very common thing that happens in the life of followers of Jesus. We face great fears. Whenever we face great fears, typically our fear is bolstered when we focus primarily on the giant and we listen to the giant. You, you know what the giant says to you sometimes? It says, you're a failure. Uh, you, you're a loser, man. You can't do this. You don't have the skill set. You, you're not going to be able to lead in that direction. You're not going to be able to do that. And so you hear all of these general comments that begin to swirl into your ears it's just like goliath in the valley screaming right up at you and when fear grabs a hold of you it immobilizes you causes you to flee and it keeps you from seeing the glory of god now i want you to think about what fear does and i just jotted these down really quickly in your uh, notes but fear intimidates us and causes us to look down instead of up Think about the Israelite army. When they saw Goliath, not one of them said, hey, let's pray. Hey, let's seek the Lord. None of them looked up into the heavens from where their help would actually come. Instead, they looked down at their feet. They looked around at one another. Who can do this? Maybe you can do it. Maybe I should leave. So fear intimidates us. But let me put it like this. Fear also attacks our faith in the Lord. There was no one who stood up in the Israelite army and said, Hey, listen, we are the army of the living God. Let's move forward. We can have victory here. Nobody stood up with great faith. They were all silenced in their own fear. And then fear destroys our hope. And as I mentioned before, it's like the jars of hope fell to the ground and shattered everywhere. Maybe you had hope that this was going to happen in your marriage or in your family or in your workplace. And now you know, man, fear has caused all of that hope to be absolutely shattered. Or maybe even I would say to you, fear often feeds negative thoughts and attitudes. That's what it does. It feeds negative thoughts and attitudes. And before you know it, you begin to beat yourself up. And the enemy begins to give you little lines that you say to yourself over and over again, which only cause great fear to come up into your heart and keep you from being obedient to God. That's what fear does. Fear is driven by what we see and what we listen to. But can I talk to you about faith? Somebody say yes. This is all... Faith is driven by the God that we see and we hear. And that's what faith is. It is driven by the God we see and hear. The Israelites were all looking at Goliath and all listening to him. But then all of a sudden you have another person show up on the scene in 1 Samuel 17 by the name of David. And David comes in and check this out. He sees the same giant and he hears the exact same taunting words of the giant. But David reacts completely differently. While all of Israel were looking down at their feet, David begins to look up at Almighty God. And God begins to work in his life. And if you think about David, if anybody should have been fearful, it should have been David. David was the youngest of all of his brothers. 
In fact, we know, according to chapter 17 and verse 14, that David was the youngest. Three of the oldest sons of Jesse, they followed Saul into the battle. Now, if you were going to fight in the Israelite army, you had to be at least 20 years old, according to God's law in Numbers chapter 3. But here you have David, who is showing up, but he's not old enough to fight. Most scholars believe he was around 13 to 15 years old. And when I thought about David, I thought about his age. He wasn't dressed to do battle. He shows up, and he is the youngest guy on the hill. And he walks in between every single one of them. And what's interesting, too, is that David was just a shepherd boy. He was not a warrior. He was not a fighter. He had not necessarily been trained to do battle like they were trained to do. And the Bible says, literally, that he went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's flock at Bethlehem. So think about this, all right? Bethlehem was like 15 miles from where this great battle array was taking place. And David traveled back in two. And on one occasion, he was sent by his father, Jesse, to go and check on his brothers. And whenever he shows up to check on them, he actually shows up as a gopher for his own dad, he brings a meal to his son. So you got to imagine this as well, all right? He shows up, and he is a scrawny shepherd boy. I've been overseas, and I've seen boys who actually are uh, shepherding flocks and shepherding cattle. I've seen some as young as five, some as old as 13 to 15 years old. And I can imagine, right, what David would look like. I've seen those scrawny guys as they're walking with their sheep and they got a stick and a whip at the end and they're leading those uh, cattle to get water or taking them to green pasture. That was David. David walks in. David shows up walking past all of these men who are dressed in battle array. They've got their shoulder pads on. They've got their breastplate, their shield, their shin guards, their sandals with spikes in them. They've got their swords and their javelins and their spears. And, man, they are standing. And then here comes David, scrawny shepherd boy with a happy meal in his hand, carrying it to his mom or to his uh, sons. Not to his sons, but to his brothers. Are you all with me? Say yes third time around you think I'd get it amen but here he shows up and he's coming and then his brother literally begins to uh, put him down says what are you doing here why are you here he says I know what's in your heart he begins to basically put him down in front of everyone but then David who hears what's going on I love what he says in verse 26 he hears the Philistine giant hollering and he says who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's a way to start it can I get a witness on that you know I thought about this morning uh, when I was putting uh, looking back over this message that literally what uh, happened when I was only a, a young guy I was like in third grade I was on the bus at school and we were being taken home and we had some bullies who were on the bus and those bullies looked at me they were two years older and they said we're gonna uh, find you at your house today right after school and we're gonna beat you up right and so here I am third grade and I wasn't near as like you know massive as I am now but here I was scared to death man and I remember getting off the bus and going inside and telling my mom mama you know and I'm like I'm, I'm like crying are y'all listening that was the last time I cried but anyway so I was crying over this great fear and I told her these two guys are gonna come and they're gonna beat me up and and she said well where are they supposed to meet you I said out in our front yard and she says well you better get out there <laughs> so I went out but I would have liked to have been able to say when they walked down, who are you, you uncircumcised Philistine? 
That would have went well, don't you think? They'd probably been like, this dude's crazy. Let's leave him alone. But that's what David did. He called him out. And then David even said, who do you think you are to taunt the armies of the living God? Now, here's the interesting thing. Whenever you would have two nations like this battling in this particular day, whichever nation won the war would say that their God was greater. That's why they won the war. And so whenever David listens to Goliath taunting the armies of the living God, he doesn't see it as an, as an assault on the army. He sees it as an assault on his God. So he says, who does this guy think he is? Who does this cat believe he is? Making fun of God. And he begins to call him out. It's pretty interesting what ends up happening as you listen to the story. You actually have in verse 32 where David comes to Saul and says, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight the Philistine. Now, again, let that sink in. Scrawny David says, I'll go and fight him. He walks past all of the great warriors and he says, Look, looking past the giant to God, I've got this. I'll take care of this. And even Saul doubts him. He says, you're, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. In other words, David, you, you've not been trained. And here, here, Goliath, he's been trained for many years. He will absolutely kill you. But David, and I love this, in that particular moment gives a history lesson to Saul. Here, here's what he says. He says oh, let me explain something to you. Y'all imagine me as David right now? So let me explain something to you. Uh, I actually keep some sheep. And one night, there was this massive bear that came in and tried to actually destroy and kill and eat some of the sheep that I'm supposed to watch. And I woke up, and God gave me the strength, and I killed the bear. And then he says, and not only that, Saul, listen, there was one night I was awakened by the rustling in the grass and the trees. And I looked up and there was a massive lion that was coming in to try to pounce on some of the sheep that I was supposed to be watching. And so whenever I saw that, I rushed toward the lion and God gave me victory over the lion. Now what's unique is that David saw his victory over the bear and the lion, not as his victory, but as God's victory. And he says that in the same way God gave me strength to overcome them, God will give me strength to overcome this man, Goliath. And if you think about it, God himself has a reputation at hand. When the lion and the bear showed up, and David defeated them, that wasn't necessarily so others could look and see God's glory. But Goliath came making fun of God. And David said, man, if he gave me victory over them, I know he'll give me victory over this guy because he's ragging out the Lord of hosts. And then the Bible says immediately they gave in and basically began to dress David for the battle. But you'll remember King Saul's uh, materials, his battle arraignment was way too large. I mean, David put it on, he couldn't even move. You know, I saw my, my son Gavin this week. He actually ran into the kitchen and grabbed my boots that I'm wearing right now, and he put them on his feet, and he started to try to run around the house, and he could barely get a few steps without just falling over because they're way too big. And I was thinking, that's what it was like when David, when he put all that stuff on, he's like, I can't move. So then they took it all off, and David took a stick, and he went and found five stones, and he took a sling, 
And then she checked this out. And the Bible says that he ran to where the giant was. Isn't that a contrast between fear and faith? The fearful, they were trying to hide. They were trying to get away. But the faithful, the one who trusted God, he's like, he's running right at him. He runs down the side of the mountain. And you can imagine as he runs here in Goliath, because the Bible says that Goliath began to disdain this young boy. In other words, he says, who is this kid? Why are you sending this dog out here to fight with me? Somebody, is this a joke? There he is ragging out David as he is running down the side of the mountain. And you can imagine as I see it in my mind's eye, David running down and he's panting. He's breathing really hard as he's taking off towards the giant. And he says, you come to me with a sword and a javelin and a spear. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of the angel armies, the God of the armies of Israel. And then listen to what he says, the one that you, Goliath, are making fun of. And then as he continues to run towards him, he says, Today the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. And then listen to this. So that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all of this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So here's David, he's running. He says, God's going to give victory, and when he does, God's going to get all the glory. So he takes this sling, and I like to think, right, my man, the Philistine, the Goliath, was saying, who is this? This dude's got to be a joke. And then the first rock hit him in between the forehead, nine foot, nine inches tall, goes down to the ground. David jumps on top of him, grabs his spear, uh, that is Goliath's spear, and actually takes it and lops the head of Goliath off, holds it up in victory, and all the Israelite army are fired up, amazed at what's going on. And check this out. And everyone began to glorify God. Why did God get all the glory in the battle? Because everybody knew the only way David could have won is if God used him. See, God often takes the scrawny, takes the weak, takes the simple, and does great things so that when God moves, everyone has to say, the Lord must have done that. God must have worked in that. Now, I want you to think about your fear. I want you to think about that Goliath standing in front of your life today. And I want to tell you what faith does. It is the opposite of fear. As a matter of fact, faith, it looks up to God. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're afraid of what's going on in your life, your job security, that doctor's appointment, what your wife is saying, or that conversation you've got to have at work, if you have that great fear and that giant is standing in front of you, look past the giant to God. Look at the Lord. What is God trying to do in your life? What is God trying to teach you? And then I would also say that whenever you have genuine faith you're going to be strengthened by God's work in your life in the past and then your your faith is going to believe God's strength for the present now as practical as I can get here's what I want to challenge you to do if you have fear in your life this week here's what I want you to do number one I want you to refocus on the Lord stop looking at the giant stop being overwhelmed by the fear in your life and start praying to God speak to the Lord and as you pray and seek the Lord, allow Him to begin to strengthen your life. 
And then here's another thing I want to encourage you to do. I want you actually to recall God's work in your life. Now, this might be interesting. You may have never done this before. Get a sheet of paper out and a pen. And when fear begins to strike your heart, I want you to write down how God has worked in your life in the past. How he's come through. Remember the lion and the bear? Look back. God was here when I made this decision. God encouraged me to do this, and I obeyed. And God came through, and I, I did this, and God was faithful. Man, write those times down. And as you recount and recall what God's done in your life in the past, it will actually bolster your faith for the present. And then I'm just going to encourage you to rest in the strength of God. Acknowledge that the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. And please listen, right? You and I is a fellowship right here at Concord. If we continue to make disciples everywhere and we start planting these satellite churches so that the gospel can go out, you need to know there are going to be Goliaths everywhere. And it is a spiritual battle. And the enemy's going to hurl insults. And if you listen real close to the insult, really isn't it you? It's to God. So you've got to make a decision. Are we going to be obedient? God may be calling you to step out and do something by faith. Are you going to be obedient or are you still going to sit there frightened and allowing fear to cause you to be immobilized and allowing fear to cause you uh, literally to withdraw from individuals and people and allow fear to keep you from seeing God's glory in your life? Now, if you think about the greatest giant that any of us have ever faced, it's all the same giant. Look at, look at the preacher for a moment. The same giant was sin and death. You and I were born into this world, and the giant who would slay us is sin and death. But just like God sent a little shepherd boy in 1 Samuel chapter 17 named David to defeat the giant, the Bible teaches us in the Gospels that God sent the good shepherd, Jesus, to defeat our giant. And Jesus came, and he went to the cross. And on the cross, he died for you. That's where the giant was defeated. Not with a sling and five stones, but with three nails and two pieces of wood. Jesus died for your sin. And aren't you glad he didn't stay dead? Can I get a witness on that? Can we just pretend it's Easter right now? Let me tell you, three days after he was crucified on the cross, he got up from the dead. And praise be to the name of Christ. Listen, he got up. So he is walking in victory now. And if you reach out to him by faith, as I have, you will see that he will forgive you of all your sin, give you a brand new life, a hope, and a future. God wants to give you that. And then as a follower of Jesus, you're going to find that as you walk this life, even though the greatest threat into your life, sin and death, has been defeated, you're still going to face great battles. But check this out. Was God not with you? In the past, was God not faithful to call you to himself, to give you a new life? Was God not faithful to come through and take care of that particular situation? Did God not speak to you and tell you to do that and you did and he came through? Man, trust him now. Trust him now. Don't be driven by fear. Be driven by your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's bow together. Father, speak to hearts even now. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You may be here today and, man, the, the great giant of sin and death are still at large in your life. You, you've never trusted Jesus. You've not given your heart to Him. I want you to know God created you to know Him, but that sin is what separates you. And that sin is what's going to put you down in the end. You can't get rid of it. But Jesus died 
so that that sin could be forgiven, washed away, completely laid to rest. This morning, I want to encourage you that you can turn from your sin and place your trust in Jesus Christ. Listen, what, what would cause you not to do that? Some people don't do it because of fear. They're afraid of what others might say, what others might think. They're afraid, well, I've been in church all my life, and how could I not know the truth about Jesus? So this fear grips you and keeps you from being obedient, even right now, to exercise faith in Jesus Christ. But I'm going to challenge you to look past the giant to God. See his arms open wide. See his tender mercies flowing. As he's reaching out to you to give you a new life. Just be obedient. Maybe you could pray something like this. Just say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't get rid of my sin. I need forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus, my good shepherd, to defeat sin and death for me on the cross. Thank you for the resurrection and 